You're listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Chris Burns. Well, good morning, and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation Series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Port Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland, and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, a wonderful place to live, work, and play. This morning, Chris Burns, owner of 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM, joins me as co-host. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Morning, Dolores. I'm great. It's Friday. Great to be here. I also want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Small Business Enterprise Center, City of Niagara Falls. They're great supporters of our chamber and of our local business community. Chris, this morning, we're going to conclude our conversation on the incredible development that's happening in our municipalities across South Niagara. Some may say that we've saved the best for last. Let's find out. Chris, who do we have joining us this morning? Well, this morning, Dolores, uh, we welcome Marco Marino who's the uh, Economic Development Manager for the City of Thorold. So welcome, Marco. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. It's a pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity. So let's start. Can you give us a a bit of an overview uh, of the City of Thorold, please? Uh, Sure. Well, first and foremost, I think it's important to mention uh, what some people have probably heard or read in the news lately, which is, uh, you know, the Statistics Canada data that came out uh, just recently about the fact that we are the fastest growing municipality in Niagara, uh, as well as the fourth fastest growing municipality in Ontario and the eighth fastest growing municipality in the nation, uh, which was incredible. We knew that this was coming. Uh, just looking at our building permit applications alone, we, we knew that this was going to be an exciting time for us, uh, especially a transitional period from what we were, let's say two or three years ago to what we are now, which is a vibrant growing community uh, with new amenities and obviously new opportunities for for business and and investment prospects. Uh, As far as an overview of Thorold, I recently released actually a community profile, uh, which I've shared with the community, our our government partners, as well as our private sector partners and, and also prospects as well. And in, within that document, it actually provides a nice overview map of the four different districts that we essentially have that we're developing uh, throughout the municipality. And then there's sort of a fifth one as well, which I believe we're going to talk about a little bit later, which is our Thorold Multimodal Hub. So you have the Brock Business Park, which is essentially up by the Brock, Brock University there off of Sir Isaac Brock Way. So you have a lot of prestige industrial. So you have the, the likes of Norgen Biotech right now uh, that has you know, shaped itself from 50 employees to 110 employees in the last six months. Uh, and then they're doing a 36,000 square foot expansion there to other residential opportunities that are there as well. So it's, it's a nice mix of both your prestige industrial employment and residential opportunities in, in that particular area of the city. And then we have our downtown, which as many people know has been revitalized. We've seen that $4 million influx of investment that's taken place there, but then you have Companies like the Book Depot, which has been named one of the best managed companies in Canada, has invested a further $7 million into the technology within their business as well and employs over 500 people in the downtown. Uh, And then we have people like Shannon Passero, who's a huge champion, a huge destination with her post office uh, retail outlet. And it's just an amazing, amazing business. I'm a fan. Yes, I, I think a lot of a lot of people are, and, and we're very proud about that because she is truly a champion for, 
for our, our community. Uh, and then we also have Port Robinson as well, which is seeing so much residential development, but on top of that also has some very interesting business prospects out there as well in Ram Design Inc. They make uh, unbelievable installations for some of the biggest names in all of the world, like Google and others. Uh, they've done some tremendous work. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we can't forget Highway 20. Uh, Highway 20 is just has tremendous access and egress opportunities. I would say the only thing that we would like to see there is, is more servicing. And, and we are looking into those types of opportunities, not only with the private sector, but with our public sector partners as well. And as the region continues to go through its official plan review, we're obviously putting forward commentary uh, in, in hopes that we can start to infuse certain policies uh, that will allow us to further develop that area as well. Because what a lot of people don't really realize is that Thorold is essentially all the way up to Rice Road. Uh, and, and, you know, people get off the highway there, off the 406, and they think they got off on Highway 20, and now they're in Font Hill. They're actually not in Font Hill. They're still in Thorold. And they need to drive all the way to almost the Meridian Community Center in Pelham to finally be in Font Hill. So, so I think that's an important uh, tidbit of information that people need to recognize as well. So the drive-in. Um, so yes. What, what, one of the last ones, and it's it's uh, unfortunately not going to be around for much longer. Yes. Uh, that's Thorold as well. Correct. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, so the frontage of that property is actually zone C5 commercial, but the majority of it is actually agricultural. But a good 20 to 25 acres is actually zoned for C5 highway commercial use. So there could be a, a nice potential redevelopment opportunity there that may present itself if uh, a certain prospect were to be interested. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm so sad that the drive-in is is no longer. It was a a great place to to go growing up and to take Lots my kids. Lots of great memories about the uh, the drive-in for sure. Absolutely, but I think it just it goes to showcase how all of our municipalities I think are transitioning from what was to mm -hmm. what can be. Uh, and I think it's time to look at you know some new and another other new and exciting opportunities. And I think uh, that's what we're going to see. I, I can tell you there's no shortage of activity that I'm seeing, not only on the industrial side, but the commercial side. And, and it's very obvious that the residential side has seen an uptick in all municipalities. Yeah, so so, so much to talk about in, in yes. our limited time. But I think let's start with residential because the, the face of, of Thorold has changed so much in, in just a few short years. Every time I, I drive by, you know, I, I, I see a new development and it, it's, it's literally like the houses go up overnight. I can't, I can't keep, keep track. I can't keep count. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening, the developments? I mean, how many houses have been built in the last, say, year or two? Well, you've had, so last year we saw 611 building permits. Mm. Um, that's just basically on your, your residential side. Uh, that number is actually going to be obliterated this year. We're already we're already on pace uh, for for a lot more than that. And I can tell you that even just the Port Robinson West uh, Phase Two and Three that's recently been approved that will be another 700 to 750 units coming online. What's what's important I think to note as well, uh, maybe because the talk of housing and I'm not sure if we'll, we'll touch on affordable housing or not, but at the end of the day. Uh, you know, we, we have our governments at the national and the provincial level that are coming up with all this programming, all these, uh, all these dollars and funds to try and 
contribute to that affordable housing crisis, if you will. And one of the biggest things is obviously uh, the number of units that are being made available within a specific period of time. Uh, and I think Thorold is very much contributing to that number and to the variation of the types of units that are coming online because they're not all single detached. Mm -hmm. There are going to be townhouses, there's going to be condos. Uh, so you're going to have a variety of different housing at a variety of different pricing that will hopefully assist in that regard. And as mentioned, just that one project is 700 to 750 units and that will be a multitude of different types of units. Then we also have Uppers Grove, Allenberg Estates, Hansler Heights, Artisan Ridge, just those four developments alone are another 1,200 units that will be coming online. We have two draft plan of condominiums as well, uh, which is about 40 to 50 units respectively. We also have Rolling Metals, which as you know, has grown leaps and bounds and continues to grow leaps and bounds. And looking at phase 13 now, uh, we're actually looking at it, I believe 253 additional units there. And then we have Hodgkins Avenue with another 114 units there. Uh, and then you also have Confederation West uh, with Mount View Homes, and that's going to be, you know, another multitude of units. So all told, I mean, you're looking in excess of over 2,000 to 2,200 units that will be coming online. Uh, and, and that's not even taking into consideration some of the others that are in application and, and have not uh, necessarily been approved at this point in time. So there's, uh, there is, and, and what's great about Thorold as well, and myself and the mayor have talked about this on, on multiple occasions, is the fact that we're not just growing in one area, we're growing in about four or five different mm -hmm. areas of the municipality, which allows us to manage that growth quite extensively. Yeah, it's and, smart. And, and, it's, and it's fantastic because we can start to look at things in a lot more detail and start to see, well, what would complement these specific types of developments in these specific areas? because they already have specific assets in place and foundational industries in place. But how can we look at this massive growth and say, okay, well, what else do the people need in this area? And we're really starting to, uh, to see our planners and others start to develop policies that will obviously speak to that. Who's buying all these homes? I I'm just curious, do you, any idea like who, who is... Uh and, and honestly, I mean, you are seeing a lot of uh, Hamiltonians and, and GTA residents that are looking at the community. Uh, and obviously, with the implementation of what will, I, I think, one day be a full-time go-rail service, uh, I think that's only going to make it that much more palatable for people to want to come here and live here and work here. I think what they've seen, obviously, with COVID-19 as well, is that if they can work from home, that they can leave the big city and obviously have a lot more amenities and get a lot more for their dollar, uh, which is also very important to them. It's a different lifestyle. Uh, but, I, but I think it is important to note that, you know, with the likes of GoTrain, it does bring further opportunity and further skill sets to our city. Uh, and also the entrepreneurial minds that maybe leave the big city and maybe start to open up operations here as well. Uh, at, they're really starting to look at Niagara as uh, the place to be. Uh, it's always been the place to be. We know that already. We've lived it. We've grown up here. Uh, it's, it's just, it's becoming that much more evident to, I think, people from outside of our, our four walls, if you will, outside of the region. Yeah. So, you know, you've opened the door, Marco, so let's chat about it. You know, housing affordability is, is an issue right across this country. So what's Thorold's strategy uh, to ensure that people can actually afford uh, you know, to come and make Thorold their home. 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I, and I think I'm just going to take a step back just to say, it's not just about what Thorold can do. It's a, it's a multitude of different levels in the private sector that need to come together to actually make this work because there's that much uh, of an impact that needs to be made with the numbers uh, that, that we see that are that are obviously missing as far as housing affordability is concerned. And, and as you know, our, our Canadian government came out with a national housing strategy and they're putting funding towards uh, new supply for affordable housing, but also looking at the modernization of existing stock. Uh, and then the provincial government as recently as this week, if I'm not mistaken, came out with sort of their plan and, and sort of looking at how they can crack down on market speculation to protect home buyers by increasing the non-resident speculation tax uh, rate to 20%. Uh, and then they're also looking at creating tools uh, specifically to accelerate the planning processes in municipalities. That's where I think the municipalities can have a big impact uh, is if we can have enough planners on staff and, and, and those that can actually put through these applications that come to the city uh, in an efficient manner. Because I can tell you right now, there, there's definitely um, a lack of planners throughout the province of Ontario uh, at this point in time. Uh, and, and, and I think that's also affecting uh, the rate at which these units uh, can actually come online. So, so I really think that's something that municipalities, regions, the province really needs to look at and consider because if we wanna bring all these things online, well, they still have to go through the process, which means you need to have the skill sets in place at the municipal level to be able to make those approvals happen. Uh, so that's an important item as well that I think needs to be taken into consideration when we look at affordable housing. Uh, as well, the regional government, I believe Jim Bradley just had his state of the region this past week, and I know that he mentioned uh, in his conversation, you know, what the region is doing from, you know, the $20 million that, they're, that they've put into to, to housing, as well as the $43 million dedicated to tackling the problem as a whole, uh, but, and that their council, you know, voted uh, in, in favor of new affordable housing incentives, uh, which require, and again, which requires all levels of government working together. And from the city's point of view, through our council strategic plan, uh, one of our pillars is creating inclusive and, and vibrant neighborhoods and creating safe, attractive, accessible places for people. Uh, and one of the ways in which we can do that is getting more housing units online. And I know I spoke to this at the beginning of uh, this conversation, but I think that's that's probably the most important thing that we can do. And the easiest thing that we can do is help those efficiencies throughout the application process to get more units online, to get more people a roof over their head and to get more people options uh, so that they can consider you know, different cost options for different types of units. So does that include like secondary units, like um, you know, people renovating basements or adding on so that they can um, rent those those additions out? I, I, absolutely. I mean, if somebody would like to look into, you know, those types of options, again, they just have to work through the processes. Uh, but, it, but again, they need to meet certain requirements from a building code perspective, from a fire code perspective to make sure there's proper egress windows, those types of things, especially if they're basement apartments. Sure, so yeah. there's, there's all these little you know, tidbits that maybe people want to get into that type of market, but maybe don't understand all the legalities or the logistics. And they need to have that uh, sort of education, if you will, by coming to the counter uh, at City Hall and finding out what are these rules and stipulations that may be required of them. But it's not to say that there's a lack of interest. I think there's a lot of people that want to do this, but there also needs to be, uh, if you will, a helping hand in the municipality to help these people want to work through these processes to make it 
that much more of viable of an opportunity for them. Because again, affordable housing, you don't have huge margins uh, in those units. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking to developers, you're talking to the private sector, you know, sometimes they might need to put a mix of housing in order to be able to counteract what they may not be making in the margins on the affordable housing units, uh, unless they're getting obviously incentives from different levels of government. So there's all these little, you know, tidbits of uh, information and, and pieces that need to be reviewed uh, by the private sector before they're, let's say, going to, you know, tap into an opportunity because, yes, they obviously want to help, but at the same time, too, they still need to maintain a certain level of profitability to make themselves a viable business. Yeah, I know that, in, um, you know, talking to all, all of the municipalities, there's, um, the municipalities are much more open now to, to uh, homeowners doing things to their homes to provide that secondary unit. Um, you know, 10 years ago, uh, it, it was almost frowned upon, right? You live in a yes. neighborhood and, and your neighbors don't want that. And, you know, there's parking issues and all of that. But now it's almost embraced. It's, it's, it's actually being encouraged because we, we just need it so desperately. Correct. And I, and I think it's a different mindset, right? I think we're, we have to remember too, there's a lot of uh, new, new people coming into the region uh, that maybe have a different way of thinking as well. Uh, they come from a, a, a different lifestyle. So for them, you know, maybe having two or three people or four people around them is not the same as having, you know, 60 stories above them. Do you have an idea for a small business? Maybe you're trying to grow a business that you've already started. Whatever the case, the Niagara Falls Small Business Enterprise Center is a community service that is here to help. Offering entrepreneurs the tools to start and grow their businesses, the Small Business Enterprise Center is your one stop for free business information and advice. Serving Niagara Falls and South Niagara, learn more about how we can help you and your business succeed at niagarafalls.ca slash SBEC. Uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, I mean that that that's a that's a big change for them, right? Yeah. So, so we have to we have to remember that yes, there's obviously the existing population that's obviously been used to single detached homes having space, uh, but then there's also the provincial government that's stepping in with their density targets and and obviously with uh, you know the the green belt legislation not allowing us to you know have urban sprawl wanting us to densify wanting wanting us to intensify on specific sites or in specific geographies throughout the region so that we're not you know tapping into that agricultural space that everybody loves and that's where you know good planning uh, you know comes into play and, and that's where the conversation needs to be had is, you know, where's that fine balance between what people want and what people need in order to continue to make businesses and, and, and investment possible, but also, you know, satisfying the residents uh, with the amount of stock housing stock that's in place or that could be in place in the types of housing to be able to accommodate their needs and their affordability as well. Uh, because who knows? I mean, affordable, I mean, what, what a there's no real definition for it as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you talk to some people, $1,200 a month is not affordable. You know, you see rents of $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 a month. I mean, what is affordable? Affordable is different, I guess, in, in, in diff from different eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's an incredible situation that we're in with the valuations of land here. I mean, the land values have gone up so much that that's really starting to impact affordability mm -hmm. as a whole. Uh, for many people, 
uh, you know, just recent, I mean, I could tell you that, you know, uh, a 60 foot by, by 120 foot lot in Niagara on the lake is $800,000. Whereas before, you know, it, it definitely wasn't that much. Uh, and, you know, I've built a, you know, a couple of houses and I'm looking at, you know, building more in the future. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, those land values obviously have, uh, have, have quite a bit of stake in, in how costing and affordability uh, can be viewed or seen uh, from, from, from different people and different mindsets and, and from different, uh, from, from different um, uh, qualities of life. So it's, it's, it's an interesting little situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. So, Marco, you know, you mentioned earlier the whole working from home and all these people moving from Hamilton and, and the GTA, but clearly uh, broadband access, uh, you know, is, is critical. And last summer, uh, Bell announced that uh, Thorold was one of the 28 communities that would be part of their 5G uh, service rollout. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and what else the city of Thorold is doing to ensure that residents have access to adequate and affordable broadband. Yeah, so so broadband and technology is obviously key in many different respects, uh, obviously in attracting business, but also in maintaining the existing businesses that we have here so that they can actually expand. Uh, when Bell came forward with that announcement, obviously we were very happy about that because they're investing essentially 1.7 billion, I believe, uh, in the next two years, and then 4 billion as well in network expansion and enhancement uh, as well. And, and what's important about that is, as you stated, with more people coming in uh, and the need for broadband and the, and, and the need for it to be efficient, uh, as we all know, when we all went online for those first couple of months, uh, a lot of us struggled because the, the bandwidth wasn't there. Uh, you know, there, there's, you know, there was pixelation, there was this, there was that, you know, a little bit of a stall, if you will, as you were chatting. But once they started to bring that infrastructure online, we started to see a difference. Uh, and, and that's what Bell is doing, essentially, is, is getting to those rural areas of communities as well to provide them access, because they're going to need access as much as anybody else uh, in, in the big cities uh, to this type of network and infrastructure. And it's, and it's not only Bell, uh, you know, you have Niagara Regional Broadband Network that's also investing in infrastructure improvements. You have the Kojikos of the world that are investing in infrastructure improvements as well locally. Uh, so, so it's pretty incredible to see how Bell is looking at trying to get 70% of, of the Canadian population for that matter. Uh, within 5G service, uh, and and that needs to happen because at the end of the day, if we I hope we never do, but if we ever were to go through a similar scenario uh, that we went through for the past two years, we need to be ready to turn those lights on and to be able to say, okay, let's transition from what we were doing to an e-commerce platform so that we can still be viable. Uh, and people are still learning about, you know, how they can get onto an e-commerce platform. Maybe some of them didn't have the funds in place to be able to adapt and get to an e-commerce platform, starting to learn about the different programming options that are available to them for, for them to do this through the economic development offices, through the small business enterprise centers who are trying to educate them on these types of scenarios. But when it comes down to, you know, also the SWIFT program as well that the province is working on. So there's a, again, just like affordable housing, I think it's the same thing when you look at technology and infrastructure, that it's not just a municipal thing, it's a provincial and a federal thing as well, uh, because across the nation, across the province, across the region, across the municipalities, we need all of this to be in place for us to be successful, for us to be competitive and to compete on a global market. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's almost unbelievable now, but two years ago when, you know, this crazy world shifted, uh, we had a number of businesses who, you know, forced to work from home. And, um, and, and I've told this story many times, uh, they couldn't because they had no, no, no access. Right. And so right. they were driving, you know, through communities looking for free Wi-Fi. And um, we actually ended up opening up one of our offices specifically for them so that they could, you know, take shifts going in to get some work done. And, um, and we also had members who, who had, who had internet, who had Wi-Fi, but it wasn't strong enough because, you know, now there's two adults and, and kids doing schoolwork and their, their network wasn't sufficient. Right. And try and get someone to your house to update <laughs> or upgrade your system during that first year. Good, good luck. Exactly. Um, so it, it's not, um, it, it's not a, a, a luxury, right? It, it is a necessity. And so I'm happy to see, uh, as, as we've done our tour with our municipalities here in South Niagara, that everybody is on this, that uh, we're working hard to ensure that all of our rural areas in, in Niagara do have access. And, um, you know, it's a new world. We're, we're, not, we're never going back to what it was. And so moving forward, it becomes even more important, um, even without emergency situations, just for um, you know maintaining the livelihoods that we have and and um, carrying on, we we it, it's no longer a luxury, right? You, you don't need it just to to catch Netflix. You need it to to conduct business and to stay exactly. connected. And and I think it's like I said, it's not just a government thing. It's a it's a private sector thing. I mean, you look at uh, you know some of the biggest entrepreneurs in the world and, and the billionaires and mm. people like Elon Musk right now, who's who's doing Starlink. Uh, and, and, you know, using SpaceX, his other company to put up literally a web of thousands of satellites uh, throughout, uh, you know, throughout the entire uh, globe uh, and, and obviously bring access uh, to high speed Internet uh, to some of the most remote places in the world. Uh, and, and he's already doing that. It's just as that web of satellites continues to grow, it's only going to be that much more efficient uh, and have that much more access uh, and bring about more access to people. Uh, so, so it's not just, you know, the governments that are investing in this. I think the people that likes of Elon Musk have realized that, you know what, this is obviously the way of the future. And he's obviously a, a very smart man leveraging his own businesses to make it happen. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's going to be pretty incredible once it's actually complete. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we've got to get to the multimodal hub. Yes. Um, so this is a pretty exciting partnership that, that actually happened a few years ago with, with HOPA, the Hamilton Oshawa Port Authority, yes. but it is, uh, an incredible, uh, asset in the city of Sorrel that, that is going to continue through to Welland and Port Coburn, that's the longer term plan. But what's happening in Thorold around this, this asset is incredible. So, so you need to tell us more no, about that. Probably need a whole podcast for that, but, yes, but honestly, yes. <laughs> honestly, you know, thank you for bringing that up because it is truly uh, an amazing partnership. So what I can tell you is about two, well, about a year and eight months ago, there was a memorandum of understanding that was signed. Uh, between the cities of Port Coburn, the city of Welland, the city of Thorold, and the Hamilton Oshawa Port Authority to develop what they term to be multimodal hub operations uh, along canal fronting uh, communities. Uh, the first of its kind 
being situated in Thorold. Uh, the Hamilton Oshawa Port Authority, as I'm sure you're well aware, manages the Port of Hamilton and the Port of Oshawa. It's, it's in the name itself. Uh, however, uh, you know, those ports are full. So they're looking at expanding, you know, their operations uh, and, and obviously their Rolodex of businesses to this area now, uh, because what I can tell you is, you know, Ian Hamilton, the president of the Hamilton Oshawa Port Authority, when we had that memorandum of, of understanding and, and we had that signing taking place, you know, there were members of the media that were out there that day and they asked the question to him, you know, how many businesses could this attract? And he didn't hesitate to say 80 to 100. Uh, we're already... That's yes. businesses that actually um, locate along that, that port, right? That 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 would our listeners understand. That, yeah, that would locate actually along yeah. that 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 strip there, if you will, uh, of of multimodal hubs that are to be created. I can tell you right now that we already have six businesses in operation out of that multimodal hub. So you have 100,000 square feet in Tora, who warehouses GM engines. You have CME, which is Canadian Maritime Engineering, taking up a, a good footprint there. You have Emergency Welding Group. You have AP Products. You have BioVelt Canada Inc. And, and there are some other uses in there that I can't talk about at this point in time, but that, that are very interesting. Uh, and we also have had a couple of uh, presentations to council in recent months uh, from two other prospects that are looking at bringing some clean tech operations to that space as well. Uh, and these could include upwards of 250 to $300 million worth of investment uh, in the next two years, uh, three years. Uh, and, and that's not inclusive of some of the other uh, opportunities and activities that we're seeing on that site as well. Uh, so essentially what you have is you have access, to, and the reason why it's multimodal is because you have access to rail, you have access to obviously water or highway H2O as we call it, and then we also have access to the road systems as well. I mean, if you look at how we're strategically situated, I mean, Thoreau truly is the heart of Niagara. When you look at it from a geographic perspective, we are right center in, in the middle of Niagara. And, you know, a lot of people have termed the phrase, uh, all roads lead through Thorold, but it really does work for us because honestly, when you think about it from a Niagara region perspective, that really is the case. Uh, but then you look at our strategic location, not only just Thorold, but Niagara as a whole. I mean, we have access to five border crossings within a 30 minute drive. We have access to 130 million people within 500 miles or literally a day's drive. And in, in a day's drive, we also have access to 60% of the North American industrial market. And then we also have access to three international airports within an hour's drive being Toronto, Hamilton, and Buffalo. Uh, and actually I should say, uh, you, know, you know, four because of the Niagara airport as well in the US. Uh, and then we also have two post-secondary institutions that we can also leverage in Brock University and Niagara College for research and development opportunities. And then we have a fantastic history of manufacturing here, which means we have the skill set. So it's, you know, it's, in, it's incredible the amount of uh, logistics in play here for us that can make us such a global competitor, not just a North American competitor, but a global competitor. Uh, and with all the different um, you know, policies that, 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 that our federal and provincial governments are putting in place, I think we need to start leveraging those policies, those free trade agreements that we have, educating our businesses on what those opportunities are. Because as you know, they don't necessarily have the time uh, or the money to be able to hire certain individuals to look into some of these new opportunities for them. Even just sitting as ex-official board member of the Niagara Industrial Association, which is 200 plus members within this uh, region, 
you know, you sit in on their AGMs, you sit in on their general meetings, and if you sit in on some of their business development committee, uh, you know, breakfasts and luncheons and what have you, I mean, all of this comes to the forefront where they start talking about the lack of time, the lack of labor, and, and sometimes, you, you know, the lack of skill sets. However, it's about looking at different ways of attracting those skilled people uh, in a different environment in which we're living in. And I think they're starting to, you know, open that, that, that box of, you know, how should we do things now? Because we can't continue to do them the way we have been. Right. Because in order to accommodate places like the multimodal hub, we're going to need to think differently on how we can access the labor pool and others to be able to create the infrastructure there, not only a physical infrastructure, but that mental infrastructure as well, uh, and, 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 and the science and the research and, and everything that goes uh, in behind that. So yes, the multimodal hub is a catalyst for us right now for industrial development, but we're actually seeing other pockets of development. If you know the McCleary Drive area where you get off of Collier Road, there's servicing happening right now. I can tell you there's over five site plans in right now for new builds that are gonna be going up there. The city's new fire hall is going to be setting up there as well at some point. Uh, and then we also have Allenport Road, which is another industrial park, which is also going to feed into that. I had worked with another company from Mexico. He just located here last year, Silver Mountain, uh, Silver Mountain Trailers. So he makes galvanized steel trailers for trucks, moved his whole family from Mexico, uh, has a parent company there as well, uh, but just made more sense from a logistical perspective to get to his, his end user or his clients, which are all in North America and mostly in Canada and, uh, and you know, the northern northeastern states. So strategically, location-wise, we couldn't be in a better position. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just want to say, as, as you were talking, I was thinking how lucky we are to be attracting new people to our communities, uh, new people who are living in our communities, new business people who are moving to our communities and moving their businesses. And I think the key, uh, and if we're smart, we're going to capitalize on this, is to connect, make sure that we're connecting with these people, that they um, are able to provide us with with input and, and their um, perceptions, because we're on the inside, right? Yes. Looking, but these are people from the outside who, who see us a little differently. And I think, you know, when we talk about innovation and doing things in a different way and, and changing our mindset, that is really gonna be fed by the new people who are coming to our community and have a different lens, right? Are, are, are seeing us in a different way. And I think that is, a really, um, you know, important thing that that we should be tapping into. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's funny that you say that because I recently was just on a call uh, with uh, one of our, our our embassy representatives in Mexico because they wanted to talk about, you know, why did he decide to move here? Uh, yeah. Because they were in conversations with him before he made that decision to come here. And, uh, and funny enough, I, I've just set up a meeting actually to speak with him and other representatives to ask those very same questions. Good for you. you know, so why, why is it that you did decide on Niagara, on Thorold? Uh, what, what was it that uh, you know, sort of sparked that interest? Uh, and I think we're going to ask some pretty pointed questions within that conversation uh, and, and see where that takes us. And maybe that will help us to strategize not only from a national and provincial perspective, but from a municipal and regional perspective on how to attract. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's those are the people you need to talk to in order to get the answers that you need. Because we can think all day long that this is why we're attractive, 
but it's the businesses and their needs and 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 what have you that will dictate why we are attractive to them uh we know the basics but they know the details because when it comes to their businesses they know their businesses best absolutely and marco the canada summer games fast approaching less than five months away so what do you think the impact is going to be on uh, local foreign businesses i think it could be immense but it obviously has to be you have to prepare for it uh i mean yes you're going to have five thousand athletes coming to the area parents, maybe family, maybe businesses that have interest. Uh, and, and there's obviously opportunities there to capitalize on that from a business to business perspective, uh, because there's obviously a lot of people that take an interest in sport. Uh, and I know when we had the Pan Am Games, uh, you know, we, we had a partnership with, with Hamilton. Uh, we called it the Hamilton Niagara Partnership. And, uh, you know, we developed some programming around that to be able to get certain businesses that were already doing business in Canada to meet with our businesses to discuss partnership opportunities. And I think that needs that needs and, and will happen again. But I think from a small business perspective, from the retailers, the restaurants, and those types of people that can that can obviously capitalize on this, you know, the BIA and others are already sort of having those discussions on, on how they can capitalize on these opportunities. But there needs to be uh, a willingness to work together in order to help everyone capitalize because you know, remember, there's four consortium partners. So you have the city of St. Catharines, the city of Thorold, you have the region of Niagara, and then you have Brock University. Well, I think there should be a collaborative conversation on how do we work together to attract these people to all of our jurisdictions, make them aware, provide them the story, provide them the history, uh, and, and let them know that there are these options for them when they get here. Uh, and, and that comes through communications, different lines of communication, uh, marketing, obviously, you know, having people on site to provide people with this information. Uh, but again, I think it could be immense. It just, you need to rally the troops, if you will, to basically have the resources in place to be able to provide them the information and, and make them aware of the opportunities that exist. So we're, we're already exploring partnerships and opportunities and working together to be able to do this. Yeah. And for people who, who don't know, I, I mean, a lot of those games are going to be happening a lot of the uh, events are going to be happening throughout the region at different um, locations. Different, yes, so, different locations. So, so a lot of them will happen in Thorold at Canada Games Park. Uh, which and, is beautiful. Uh, yes. Absolutely beautiful. It's, and you know, what a legacy, right? It is a huge legacy piece. I mean, yes, $100 million investment, but a huge legacy piece, I think, for this region in the sense that it, it's going to be a regional hub for health and wellness. Uh, obviously, it is called the Walker Sports and Ability Center. We should mention that. Obviously, Walker is having made a significant contribution uh, uh, to the asset. And, and I think we all see the importance of this structure in bringing people together. Uh, and, and not just for athletics, uh, but for mental health and well-being. Uh, and, and it's in a great site as well, because at the end of the day, being adjacent to Brock University, you know, you have access to, you know, trail systems, you have access, you know, to different assets as well, plus the outside track, which is a state of the art track, everything in that building is absolutely state of the art, I don't think people realize uh, until they actually get in there until they've actually toured the facility, what a tremendous asset it's going to be for this community. And again, not only for sport, but for, but for health and wellness and bringing people together. It will be an attraction for future sport tourism operations. There's no question in my mind that we'll be able to attract other athletic events to that space. Uh, 
uh, and, and that we need to work well together, again, across a variety of municipalities and with the region and with our post-secondary partners to be able to attract new events uh, to that space, to make it a success. Uh, you know, it's time to start speaking positively about these tremendous assets that we have in our communities and that are being created. I mean, the Henley Rowing Course, of course, is getting an upgrade as well. You have the Well and Flat Water Center that will be utilized. You know, you, you also have, I believe it's out in Grimsby where the soccer is going to be taking place. So you, you have all these fantastic sport facilities uh, that not only, you know, bring up our level from an athletic standpoint, but will bring up our level in our game from a people attraction standpoint, because those amenities are part of quality of life. And all those people that are going to be buying units here, I mean, we talked about the 2000 units that are coming online in the next little bit, those people are going to want access to these types of amenities. Uh, and there's no question in my mind that they will be utilized because it's just an incredible, incredible asset. And, I, and, I, and when you get the chance to go and see it, if you haven't seen it already, uh, you, you really need to when they make it available. That's great. So um, just quickly, as, as we wrap up here, I, one, I, I guess, area we should touch on is, you know, the return of festivals. Um, are we going to see uh, festivals in the Thorold area in 2022? So, so the, 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 short, the short, short answer is yes. Uh, they are working on uh, Canada Games celebration. Uh, not Canada, sorry, not Canada Games. Sorry, Canada Day celebrations. Always get the two mixed now. <laughs> Canada, Canada Day celebration uh, definitely coming back uh, as part of Canada Games. We will be hosting uh, 13 for 13 events, and and, and that will be uh, a very interesting one as well. Uh, and the theme with ours is, is Manitoba. Each of the different communities has a different province that they're going to represent. Uh, and, and ours is Manitoba. So I know that staff is working on that quite diligently. Uh, and then obviously there's always the talk of the Canal Bank shuffle. Yes. That's not, um, I wouldn't say that that's confirmed at this point, but I know that they are, you know, they are talking about it. It's a great uh, one. It's, it's, a great it's, one. It's, it's a huge one. It's a great one for this, not only this city, but for the region and, and Ontario. I mean, it attracts people from all over. Uh, and uh, and on top of that, uh, you know, back to sort of Shannon Pacero as well. I know that she's going to be hosting uh, a night bazaar, actually, uh, on May 31st uh, from four to eight. Uh, so that's going to be another, you know, type of, of those small type events that we're going to be looking to partner and host with other community members as we work our way towards the games so that there's, you know, different types of opportunities for people when they are here, not only for the residents, but those actually visiting the area. So yes, there will be, I think, uh, you know, more events happening. And, and as they become available, obviously, and confirmed, they will be marketed accordingly. That's great, Marco. So thanks so much for joining us today and providing some incredible insight. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and watch this again just to unpack <laughs> everything that you have talked about today. Uh, appropriate that it's the 1st of April. That was uh, really very, very insightful. So Dolores, uh, what's planned for next week? Yeah, well, next week, we're going to focus a little bit on politics, specifically women in politics, uh, with an upcoming provincial and municipal election this year. We want to get a female perspective on the, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, on the role of a politician. We welcome three local veteran politicians, uh, April Jeffs, former mayor of Waynefleet, Lori Lococo, she's a councillor with the city of Niagara Falls, and Marina Butler, who's a councillor with the town of Fort Erie. To all of our listeners, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks again for tuning in and have yourselves a wonderful day.